I don't know. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Harriet Kamich with Down to Earth, the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today I have my Twitter, uh, uh, my Twitter audience who's going to join us live, and you all are going to tweet and say all kinds of things and talk back to me. And we're going to talk about the coronavirus that just seems to have dominated our conversation here in, in, in America and throughout the world for the last month or so, and it seems to be going on and on. So I'm kind of glad. I think most of us feel this way that April has not lingered. I mean, it took forever to go through March, but I think we were initially just traumatized and coping. So now we have our coping tools. After we turn the news off, we go to Netflix or Hulu and try all sorts of free trial and How about Zoom? I mean, people are Zooming. Just yesterday, uh, I talked to some family members, and apparently we were planning a, I forgot, I always forget these things, we were planning a a family reunion for July in New York. Guess what's not going to (laughs) happen? Ain't going to happen, right? So I suggested that we Zoom. I was like, yeah, we can do it virtually because I'm not going to New York anytime soon. And you know I have lots of family members in New York, right? I have a whole tribe of folks in New York. So I checked in with others yesterday, and I have family like everybody else all over the country. I have folks in Maryland. Folks, My brother moved to South Carolina. I have folks in Virginia, folks in New York, folks in California. They're everywhere. Florida, they're everywhere, literally. So I checked in and people are fine and it's it's so good to I, I breathe a sigh of relief when they answer the phone. I'm like, you don't know how good it sounds to hear your voice, right? Now we're planning a family reunion and it's gonna be virtual. But guess what? I don't know. I was kinda of looking forward to driving down to New York myself or flying down there and then from there on making my way down to South Carolina. And now I'm like, we are not traveling anywhere for a while. You know, we're going to wait until this virus has settled down and done what it's supposed to do. So that's it. But how about in your, have you thought about what's going forward? I mean, they're intent on reopening the country, despite the guidance from the CDC and everybody else saying it's not a good idea. They still intend to do that. And there's very little that you and I can do about it, right? They're going to do what they feel they should do because, number one, they don't want it to look bad politically. So it's all driven by politics, both sides, both sides, all driven by politics. And secondly, they don't care about the people because they live in a bubble. So they're not going to come in contact with the people. The people are coming in contact with the people. So the people who are out there demonstrating don't believe that they're at risk. But when you go back to work, you are going to be at risk. You know, as somebody I spoke to yesterday said, her boss was one of those advocating for a reopening of the economy. He happens to be a lawyer. He owns a law firm where she works. And I don't want to identify her, right? And he said, uh, this is him on, on Facebook starting a petition to reopen, to petition the governor of their state to reopen. So she said, to, she said she thought about it. And she said, okay, in our firm, in our offices, everybody has their own office. Okay, so we can social distance all we want. Okay. So I said, but what about the communal spaces, like the bathrooms? Do you have individual bathrooms? And she said, oh, 
I said, exactly. I, and I said, what about the other communal spaces? And she said, that's right. She said she asked her boss how he felt about that. We, they work in a 12-story building. So I said, so you have communal spaces, right? Because you have to touch the door to, from the garage, from the parking garage to the elevator to get into the elevator. And I said, when you get in the elevator, if everybody in that 12-story building <laughs> has to social distance six feet apart, first of all, that elevator is not six feet wide, <laughs> nor is it six feet deep, right? Am I right? So I said, it's just not going to happen. So I said, you know what? Let them figure it out as they go along because they're not thinking it through. They're just thinking, oh, my God, let's just go back to work because people are bored. It's driven by boredom. People are going to hurt themselves and get divorced because they stay home one more week with their with their wives and their spouses and their, the children are driving them crazy because none of us is used to sitting still. Nobody. And it's driving our collective imaginations crazy. And I think after this, we're all going to need mass therapy. Don't you think? We're all going to need mass therapy. We're all going to need group therapy after we've seen all of these images and so on. So I was just like caught up in that. And then as if it couldn't get any better, I have a cousin who lives in Florida, in South Florida, in Palm Beach County, I think it's called. And she says, well, it's, it, it hasn't reached her county yet, but it's in Broward and Dade County. So I said, it's only a matter of time before it gets to where you are. She lives and works in, in, in Palm Beach County. So I said, it's only a matter of time before it gets to where you are. And she said, the beaches have reopened. She says, I'm not going down there. She was adamant. She says, I'm not going out, period. I'm working from home. Right? And I said, that's the way to go. That's the way to go. So here we are, all of us watching as these events unfold and just praying that every time you pick up the phone to answer the phone, it's not someone you know. It's somebody calling you to tell you they're well. That's where it has gotten to. So I imagine we're all going to need therapy. I feel if you see me, uh, I'm sniffling not because of anything, but because the emotion of it is getting to all of us. We have lost so many friends, especially here in Detroit, where patient zero, I wish they would identify patient zero. They stopped identifying him. He was a 65-year-old man who had recently traveled. This was on March 10th. The first case of coronavirus belonged to a 65-year-old male who was not black. He didn't even come from Detroit. He lived in Metro Detroit, right? And he was patient zero. He died. He subsequently died. So when we look at what is happening in our community, it is impactful. You know, a lot of folks in Detroit have passed. A lot of people are hurting collectively. A lot of people are feeling the pinch and feeling what it feels like to live without someone who is important to you. And you can't mourn them. You can't close it out. It is something. So I'm asking for all of us to be nice to one another and to be kind to one another because you don't know what the other person is going through. People are worried that if they go back to work, they might get sick. You know, so far, they haven't gotten sick because they have stayed away from everything. They haven't mingled. They haven't, you know, but so people are worried about that. And then there are the people who are showing up on our highways at 5 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning speeding and crashing. And I'm like, the state police recently asked the question, where are people going? You're not supposed to be at work. So where are people on the wire people? And I'm like, you know where they're coming from. They had what is called a, what do they call that? A booty call the night before. 
and are on their way back home, trying to get home to make it seem as if they're observing quarantine. But in fact, they were busy out. I mean, it's just the craziest stuff that is going on, right? So you all stay away from the booty call stuff and the hookups and, and all that. Let's wait. We're all learning to wait. It, it will be better. It will be better. It will be better, right? So today, I want to talk about something that I think is going to impact a lot of people, and especially a lot of young people. And we've seen how COVID has been insidious and has crawled into every facet of American life. I mean, I think now more than ever, we are appreciating the fact that we live in America. I think we are even in spite of all of this, we are, we are rebellious, but our constitution allows us to be rebellious. We're free to express what we want to say. We're free to do what we want to do. There are protections in place, and they're not shutting down New York and saying, you can't come from New Jersey or you can't come from Michigan to New York, right? They don't say, well, you can only go outside of your home and you can only go 13 feet outside of your home, Right. For all you know, you could be driving to New York to go buy toilet paper because you can't get it in Michigan, <laughs> right? But so now we are very appreciative of, of life in America, and, and we want, I think in a lot of ways, the more I think about it, a lot of us are just striving for some sense of normalcy. We want to go back to normal so quickly to not think how much our lives have been impacted and interrupted. I think in a lot of ways that's the guiding principle behind it. Yes, I know it's been zealously pursued by others with a political agenda aimed at insurrection or anarchy. But I think also beneath it all, people are like, I really just want to get back to normal. I really just want to be able to go to work and get my Starbucks and get my coffee on my way to work, stand at the water cooler, get in my car and listen to my music on my commute. I think we're all striving for that. But in the midst of that, we, we have thought about what college would be like for some people. And in examining what college is like now that instruction moved to virtual a month ago, there were some unintended consequences that we couldn't have foreseen. We couldn't have thought of everything because in the midst of all of that, remember we have no model for this. We have never been down this road before in all the semantics that we have practiced, we never practiced for this one. So we really didn't know how, we didn't take everything into consideration. One part of that we didn't take into consideration were the LGBTQ students on college campuses. And when it finally became, we finally became aware of it, we were like, oh, oh my God. Initially, we thought of students who needed housing to immediately provide for housing for them. We thought of students who needed food to immediately provide food for them, but we never thought about those who are LGBTQ. And I must confess that after reading someone's story yesterday, I couldn't finish it I, because I started crying. I, do I cry a lot? I don't know. I, just, I was just so overwhelmed because how I, I placed myself in their position and tried to imagine how would I feel if it were me and I went to college to escape the uncertainty and the, the, the insecurity at home, only to find that I'm slammed right back into that. And it mirrors what a lot of other people are experiencing, which is domestic violence. A lot of people are experiencing domestic violence 
from staying at home because you have you can't go to work, you can't socialize if you were planning to leave. Those plans got stymied because you stopped working and you don't have any income to go rent somewhere or to go find somewhere to live. Well, it's the same thing with LGBTQ college students, many of whom escaped to college. College was a means of escape from the violence that they lived with. Some of them, you've got to understand, they come from homes that are severely religious. And those homes that are overly religious require that their children observe their religious practices and beliefs, even though the child grows up to believe otherwise. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he shall grow, and when he grows old, he shall not depart from it. That is true, because they did train me up in the way I should grow, and when I was uh, a teenager, I departed from it, and then I came back to it when I got older. So there's hope for most of us. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Right? But what about children who choose and for whom they find themselves in a place where their sexual identification and their sexual orientation is different from what their families believe? Some of these students began observing from they were little that they were different sexually. And so their family even had gone to great means to make sure they conform to what they believe their children should be. So going to college naturally is an escape. It's a way to get out of that small town and small-minded environment. And now you don't have anything else to live. And for many LGBTQ college students, what we don't realize is that they end up in shelters because family throws them out, and they end up in shelter, which places them at grave risk for being sexually assaulted, for being raped, and for being prostituted and human trafficked. So I'm saying, what is our choice then? Are we going to so stick to what we believe so rigidly that there is no wiggle room in there for God to come in? You really sincerely believe that God is so rigid and he created human beings. And if we really believe that God is all powerful, all knowing and everywhere, you really believe that God does not know that people struggle with their sexual orientation. You honestly believe that and that there is no mercy at the cross for them. I've never understood that part of humanity because As much as I am a Christian and as much as I have my own beliefs about sexuality, I still feel that that is a personal choice and a personal decision that people make. But I also feel that there is grace that is employed and grace that God has given that perhaps some of us in the rigidity of our beliefs have not granted to others, even our own children. And so here we have placed young people in peril because we refuse to accept that God can extend grace even in something that we don't believe in. And we refuse to accept. And now we have placed children who are vulnerable in dire danger from being human trafficked and from being violated. We've all seen these movies. I mean, these movies are not exaggerated where they show where LGBT students and LGBT youth, LGBTQ youth, are often beaten. They're often violated. They're beaten severely because they wear their hair in a different color or they affect women's clothing or they wear makeup during the day even though their bodies are male and people attack them and beat them. 
And now they're facing homelessness, some of whom may never return to college. Because if college continues to not be open during the fall, because there's going to be a second wave. This is the first wave. There's going to be a second wave. When the second wave comes and more people fall ill, college might not be open. And college might not be an option for returning LGBTQ students because many of whom have now returned home and have to do what we call go back into the closet because it's the only way they can sleep somewhere and have something to eat. They're still being treated, mistreated. How do you mistreat a child that you came, that came out of you? You must hate a part of yourself to hate a part of you. Your child is a part of you. And if you hate them, you hate a part of you. Maybe you can't see yourself forgiving or maybe you blame yourself for the choices that they made. And even if that is what you think you should do, why would you place your child in jeopardy so that the child does not have anywhere to sleep or feel so compromised they can't stay home? This is what we mean when we say home is not always a safe place for everyone. We have seen during this pandemic that home has not been a safe place for children. It has not been a safe place for women. And now LGBTQ college students. It is very hurtful, my friends. And we must take time to think about these things. We must take time to think about how our actions impact someone else. I have two daughters. What if one of them were to come to me and tell me that I feel like, what am I going to do? Hate my own child? That's my flesh. That's blood of my blood and flesh of my flesh. What if my child comes and says, they disagree with me all the time. Do you know that? My, I raise them. So they don't conform. I didn't raise them to be totalitarian. I raise them with the degree of humanity that they must feel that I, as a parent, I am there and I love them in spite of whatever. We need to be a little bit more human. If this virus has taught us anything more, anything, is how much we are interdependent on one another. And I am going to choose to believe that deep down inside of us, there is some good. There is something good. So it might not be you. It might be someone else. But if you know a family that has an LGBTQ youth, reach out, post stuff on your Facebook page, on your Instagram feed, and on your Twitter feed. Reach out and let them know that they are loved. These are human beings. They are at risk. It is very touching in some of these communities, especially in rural areas. And we all know that Uncle Tom and his sons used to, to rape little boys out in the barn and so on. Let's come on now. Let's just be real. They did it in the city. You know it was taking place out in the barns or in the fields. And it was covered over because Uncle Tom was probably the sheriff of the county or the city council member or the mayor. So who was going to talk against him? And damaged people. And now these folks have grown up. They can't get any help. My friends, it's time for us to rethink. And it's highly unlikely because it's now mid-April. So the semester is done. The spring semester in colleges is finished, right? Because let's say 
that we actually return to some semblance of normalcy. They start returning. On the 30th, commencement, college courses would have ended on the 4th or the 5th, right? So when this first started, they brought in virtual instruction that would have simulated those exercises, right? So they're not likely to return to college. But what this has also done is interrupted many of those students who probably made plans for the summer. Because once they get out, college is a way to, is a springboard. Let's say that college is a springboard to get into the wider society. So going to college affords them the opportunity and access to finding resources in a wider college community that enable them to find their niche. So they could have gone on overseas trips. That's not going to happen anymore. They could have found work in the cities and towns around the college or in a major metropolis, somewhere where they can, they can assimilate and fit in better than where they're coming from. All those opportunities have dried up. They're not going to reappear magically just because they choose to say everybody goes back to work. It's not about to happen. It's not going to happen. And now these children, these young people are in grave, grave danger. And they're not likely to get support from their local services because people don't want to get involved or those people enable the others who bring violence to them. Being LGBTQ in a rural area, especially, it's like walking around with a capital red letter A on your back. It invites all sorts of criticism and cynicism. It invites all, but it, most importantly, it invites physical violence and the displacement that comes from parents who drive you out. I don't want that kind of thing in my house. Where does the parents go to church and hear some sacrilegious, self-involved religious leaders stoke the fires of hell? and preach fire and brimstone on the people, which is not even conforming to the message of the gospel, which is love and grace. I encourage all of us during this time, if you don't believe me, pick up the Bible and start reading the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You're going to be surprised. What you find there is relief from violence. What you find there is love and grace and understanding. But that's not what we are hearing. That's not what we have heard. What we have heard is fire and brimstone. There, in fact, there are two kinds of judgment the Bible writes about in Revelation. So let's say you believe upon to the point of death and upon to the point where Jesus will come back again. That's a part of the Christian belief system, right? It talks about two judgments. There's a great white throne judgment and then there's a judgment, the judgment where people who believe in Christ appear before him. So now he makes you wonder what exactly... It's a fire and brimstone all about that. It's a man-made of things that they have been propagating and pouring out on people and have driven people away from the love of God. And if people had not been driven away from the love of God in the same way, that if, you, if God doesn't love us, then how is he going to embrace me as a human with all my failings and all my frailties and my frailties? Then how, what is the example that is set? For you and I in our homes with our children. If God is not love, then how are we as parents going to symbolize love and emblematically show love to our children? We tell people, preachers tell people that God is love. 
and God loves us little children. Okay, but we don't show it though, because all I hear is fire and brimstone. So in my home, I tell my children that I love them. I'm a parent, but I don't show them love. I'm constantly yelling and calling them names and telling them, kicking them out when they have nowhere else to go. Do you realize that we're making it even worse? Can you imagine being someone who is 15, 16, 17, struggling to emerge and and to understand that their sexual feelings are different and they can't do anything about it and they're trying to understand it with the chemistry and the biology that we are built with as human beings and instead they encounter fire and brimstone and get out of my house knowing they have nowhere else to go knowing they don't have food. Don't come back here. Don't call me. Why? That same child is going to grow up one day and become somebody. And you're going to be so ashamed as a parent to look them in the eye, knowing that what you thought was such a big deal, now that you're older, what you thought was such a big deal pales in comparison to what you see in front of you. Well, I think we spend way too much time occupying ourselves with things that don't matter. So much so that we don't even know what matters now. It it doesn't seem to me that we have a clue about what matters. It seems to me that we think that what matters is how we feel and how we look. And, And this is what I think. And we don't leave any room for anybody else to say anything. You know, when I first uh, started becoming a Christian, I realized that how rich, it took me years to realize how rigid I was. I didn't, for somebody who most of my life had always been open-minded and I suddenly found myself rigidly believing in things. It alienated me from my, the people whom I loved, my children. And then I had to ask myself, I said, is this really what God says? Let's go back to the principles and read the basics. And I'm saying all of this because we say that we love people, but we don't show it. Look at what happened with the pandemic. We shut the whole world down because we loved one another. Yeah, we were protecting ourselves, but then we started thinking about people. But let's backtrack and go back a little bit. We mistreat our parents. We drop them off at our nursing home. And then went back to live our busy lives and never went back to see them. Left others, total strangers, to take care of our ailing parents, only to get a phone call that they're sick, they're in a hospital, and you can't visit them. And that's that. Next phone call you get is that they've passed away. Deal with that. We're going to need collective grief. We're going to need collective grief therapy after that. But you get another opportunity right now with your own child who has come to you and confessed and you chase them away because of the rigidity of your belief that does not even line up with a faith and a leader of a faith that you claim you have affinity with. Because that's not what the Jesus said. He said, love one another. Did you not think that at some point God must have been aware that your son is going to come and start dressing like a female. Does that mean he's still not your child that you gave birth to? 
in a society that has become so marginalized, you really want your child not to feel loved? Still embrace them. Still hold them and love them. They need it. I look at my two daughters, and I wish I had done more. I, I kid you not, my youngest daughter is, is going to college in a few months. She's, I'm done. She's gone. She is no, she'll no longer be this baby. She'll be gone. And I look at my older daughter, and I'm like, I hope to God that I had loved them. I look at my youngest daughter, and all I can do in my heart is pray that as she goes into the world and start navigating on her own, that I had given her the tools that she can, you know, navigate life with. You know what I mean? I pray that she will feel loved wherever she goes so that when she grows up, she can look me in the eye and I can look back at her knowing that I did my best and she can look at me and think I have someone who loves me. Why are we hurting our children? This is your little Johnny. This is your little Ashley. This is your little Emma. This is, was your little baby, your hopes and your dreams when you were pregnant and you conceived this child. Why are you hating them? Because they make different choices than yours. Just because they don't believe in the stupidity that a whole group of zealots believe? Come on. Those are some of the very same people. In fact, the more zealous they are, you know, is the more likely they're watching Pornhub because Pornhub Premium is free now. So you know they're watching Pornhub. You know they're on the internet watching. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to level with you and tell you the truth. Whenever there's a Christian convention in town, hoteliers will tell you that the rates of pornography go all the way through the roof. Anybody who has ever been involved as a sex worker will tell you some of their best clients are preachers and, 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 and so on. So let's just take the mask off and put it down. Your child is coming back home to you, whether he's a drug addict or he's a sex worker, or whatever has happened to them, we're still, as parents, culpable and responsible for the outcome. We did it. Whatever we did or didn't do, we are responsible. We brought that person into the world. We are responsible. Whatever happens to my children, good or bad, I'm responsible. So I've worked really hard to make sure it was more good than bad, because I recognize that After a while, there was only so much control that I had. But I, at the end of the day, was ultimately responsible. We are responsible. So whatever Johnny comes back wearing a dress or pants or he has on eyeliner or he polishes his fingernails, deal with it. Don't throw him out. Deal with it. Instead of saying, look at you. You're a boy, but you're wearing a dress. You're a disgrace. Say this instead. What happened? To you, my child. Just say that and see how the conversation changed. Just say what happened to you. Embrace them and love them nonetheless. They're still your child. One day you're going to be grown and you're going to be old. And you will wish that little Johnny will be able to come back and bring you a glass of water with some level of empathy and compassion. Show them some love and compassion right now. Forget about what the neighbors are going to say. Because some of you are so caught up in what others have to say. I've never seen anything like this. You're worried about what people have to say about how you raise your children? How about being worried about what your child has to say about you? People can say all they want about children. But, you know, 
about, you know, people say, well, I did this for my child. You know how I know it's true? I look at the child. And that tells me everything I need to know about what went on in the home. This is why when things go wrong, social workers and social scientists interview children. And they ask young children, what is life like? They show them magazines and pictures. And the child tells you everything that happened in the home. So instead of yelling at little Johnny because you were too busy going to church Monday through Sunday, being on your knees praying while some other guy was looking up your skirt or some other girl was looking up your pants, you didn't pay attention to what little Johnny was going through. So ask Johnny, what happened to you? Your daughter comes home and she doesn't want to be a girl anymore. She wants to be a man. She wants to dress like a man, talk like a man. She wants to take hormones and pills to grow a mustache. Instead of jumping all over her, look at you and call her all kinds of names. Ask her what happened to you. Yes, you the parent. Be transparent. I wasn't always there. I was working. I was caught up. I'm sorry. The next thing you need to say is what? You're sorry. I am sorry that I wasn't there for you. Come on now. I know it's going to kill some people. Especially these religious zealots. They, they, they've never apologized for a darn thing in their lives. But the preachers have them suckered in and tell them when you go up to Jesus, start crying and say, I'm sorry. How are you going to say I'm sorry to a God you've never met, but you can't say I'm sorry to your, your spouse and your children? Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that in the Bible? Jesus said, so how are you going to tell me you love me and tell me you love me, but you can't love the people you see and you don't see me, but you love me? So how are you going to apologize to a God you never met? How do you know you offended him, but you can't apologize to your children whose mother you just beat to a pulp and whose child you put your child out on the street because the, your son wanted to put a dress on and your daughter wanted to grow a mustache? This is what the Bible says when it says, you wicked and cruel generation, depart from me. I know you're not. That is cruelty. That is extreme cruelty to your own child. And now all these young people have to go back home and face ridicule, speculation about their sexuality and being beaten, can't get a job in town, literally seeing their career and their hopes and dreams evaporate because they're just dying to get out. Most of them, they have to go back because of poverty. They can't afford to, to get out. They can't afford to stay out. I wish some rich LGBT people are listening to me right now. Go help these young people. Go to colleges and ask them for a list of young people and find them on the Internet and send help to them. Tell them, come on, you can intern with me. Come on, I can help you with housing and help you get back on your feet. Come on. Step in the gap and do something because the parents are way too busy. And their community is way too busy observing religious edicts that are not spiritual concepts, that are not based on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Hear me clearly. They're way too busy observing those than it is taking care of their own. It is a sad state to be. And I am praying and hoping that young LGBTQ youth will find their way, whatever that turns out to be. Ladies and gentlemen, can I, if you're a new parent, can I just tell you this? There is no lottery we're going to win. 
The most you can do is do your best and hope for the best. Notice I said you don't just hope for the best. You do your best. That means you are there for that child. When, when my daughter was eight years old, my oldest daughter, my marriage was falling apart. And the child was aware because there was extreme violence at home. And she had been subjected to extreme violence from the time she was five until she was eight. She had seen it, right? And when I finally told her that I cannot live with dad anymore, she said, you know what that means, mommy? She said, my whole world has fallen apart. So I said, how? And she said, you don't understand. She said, to a child, mom and dad and home is your whole world. It shook me to think that I was culpable in removing her from her own, her whole world. You know, I begged my ex-husband to stop beating me just for her sake. I begged him to stop just so she would not experience the collapse of her whole world. What do you think happens with LGBTQ youth? You are their whole world. When you put them out, you're telling them that the world is a bad place and the world does not love them. That's the responsibility we have as parents. By what we do in our homes, we're framing our children's impression of what the world is like. We're teaching them subliminally, whether we're aware of it or not, how to behave and act like in the world and how will the world treat them and so on. We're doing that. And when we fail, because we know we fail when the child does not want to come home, that's how you know you fail. If you're talking to them and they're like, okay, I'm having fun in college, you know how college life is, and I'm just like, yeah, but space out and stuff. But if at the end of all that, they're, they're not saying, I love you and I miss you, and I think I want to come home, that's how you know you failed. You have not imparted to them love because love starts at home. Love comes from your heart, no matter what decision your child will make. Some of you all may not even have LGBTQ youth. Your children may not even be inclined like that. But you know what you are? You're just as wicked and bad. You are a doctor, but you want the child to grow up to be a doctor. The child has no interest in medicine. They want to go be an artist. They want to go serve somewhere in California. And you throw them out and tell them, you're not my child. I'm going to cut you off. And you can't come to my house. What are you, an ogre? You're like the wicked wizard, uh, wicked uh, wizard of Oz. Can we show a little bit more love to the children that we brought here? It was your plan. You are responsible. Just because the child chooses to do something different, you got to ask yourself, well, where were you? How much did you shape their thoughts growing up? Were you there or were you busy building a tower to yourself? Were you always getting on a plane and taking off because that was more important? Were you always feeding your ego? And you kind of left the raising to someone else to do because I'm more important than that. I got to go here and I got to go there. There's a famous man you all know about, Benny Hinn. You've ever heard of him? He was a preacher. I don't know if he still does, right? He had children. And according to him, God warned him to stay with his family, according to him. But when he got so well known, he was always what? Getting on a plane to go somewhere. Eventually, things started, his family fell apart. 
One day his daughter was caught with some guy smoking weed and driving down the street in Orlando. I kid you not. Then his son, unknown to him, became a drug addict, cocaine. And he's on stage praying for people. That was not the devil attacking him. That was him attacking himself. He was absent when he should have been present with his children. You are supposed to handle it and manage it. You, for he found out afterwards that he could have still pursued the call he had on his life, but the people whom he was responsible to, his family, he abandoned them at the switch. He ended up in a scandal with Paula White. Isn't that the craziest thing? It happens to all of us. Maybe for Benny Hinn that was magnified because of his personality and his stature and how famous he was, right? You all make fun of celebrities. They're all busy profiling and being important, but nobody paying attention to the children, and the children end up askew all over the place because we don't pay attention to what is important. What is important, folks? Are we learning that right now during the pandemic? You realize whom you really need, whom you really have to be with and whom you want? Do you realize that we know that now more clearly? than we have ever known before. The pandemic has taught us that we had no choice but to stay in our homes with the children we gave birth to. People are going crazy with their children. Well, who raised them? That little tyke is throwing stuff all over the place. You used to depend on the social worker and the social worker at daycare to manage that. Instead of you being the holy parent and say, sit yourself down and stop throwing stuff. You never disciplined him. You never said, sit down. I said, sit down. Last week, something happened. My, my two children, were sit, I was sitting at the dining table. One was sitting with me. The other one was sitting in a couch somewhere. And somebody, we were on the phone and something went wrong. And I took the phone to handle the phone call. And I yelled at the person on the phone. My daughter sitting in the couch some 20 feet away shook I kid you not, she shook. What she was reacting to is the authority in mom's voice. My older daughter was sitting there. She deals with it how she deals with it. She just kind of got up and walked away. I had to go apologize after her. I said, I'm sorry. I didn't really want to do that to both of you. But the person on the phone, and they said, yeah, it was justified. I said, but it wasn't justified, my reaction in making you feel that. You see what I'm saying? And I hugged them. I said, it's not my intention, and I don't want that to happen because they're important to me. I am responsible. Every time I look in their faces, I am responsible. That's how we need to see. So if your little Johnny and your little Ashley and Emma are busy running around while you're on Zoom, whose fault is that? That's your fault. Did you ever teach them to sit down when mommy and daddy are on the phone? Did you ever tell them you need to sit until I come back to you? No. You left that up to others, and now you have to deal with it. Deal with it. Now you see the error of your ways. Take it and go deal with it. You never told your children you love them. Now he's a teenager, and he doesn't even talk to you. Well, where were you during those intervening years? Were you trying and trying and trying and trying? I know I've raised children. I know how they can be as teenagers. God, sometimes you want to tear your hair out. But somewhere along the line, I'm like, I got to go back to the belief that I showed them love when they were little, so I pray that it all works out. I'm going to have to trust the process. And then came the pandemic, and I'm like, oh, here we are. 
I get to cook every day. I feel like I'm chained to the stove. Pray for me. Please pray for me. Please. I feel like I'm morning, noon, and night. I'm cooking every day. Can you pray for me? But do you see what I mean? All these young people are going home right now. And home is not a safe place. Home is a place where they're being mistreated and ridiculed and laughed at. Sometimes that child is different. That's the one who plays the piano and plays music and all that. And everybody else is going to Harvard. Everybody else is going to be a, a lawyer, a doctor, a biologist, or work as a scientist. And this one child is the one that's different and everybody makes fun of them. I wonder what's going to happen to all of you. You're all sitting in the same space now. And the other children, to gain more favor from mom and dad, picked on the one who is different. And you call that love? You tell others, I love my brother and I love my sister. Do you really? It's time. Isn't it? It's time we change it. All these college students all over the country who have to go back home. And home is not a safe place. All these, And I'm being specific. LGBTQ college students. I'm being specific about it because it's a specific situation that requires specific attention and specific action. We've got to change our perception of what we think people ought to be, even the children we come out of our bodies. We have to change that. We have to influence them, guide them, but we have to, there comes a point where this is the individual and what they choose to be. Deal with it. Love them anyhow. You know all you can say, even if you don't understand it. Here's what you do. I don't understand it all, but I love you anyway, and I am here. Would you help me? Can you tell me what I need to do, what I need to know about you? And tell me when I'm wrong. Tell me that I didn't say the right. Tell me and instruct me so that I don't hurt you. It will help them because they have a whole world of derision out there that they have to deal with. It's nice to know that there is a safe space and a safe person and a safe place that who will love them anyhow. My name is Harriet Kamek. If you enjoy this program, make sure you continue to listen to Down to Earth. You can find me on every podcast platform, Podcorn, Blog Talk Radio, uh, Apple, Google Podcast. Share this message with others. There's something I might have said that might have touched you. You can reach out to me at 248-491-8139, or you can find me on your social media platform. Let me know how I can help. And if you're an LGBTQ youth and you are struggling, let us know. We can point you to resources in your area. My name is Harry Kimmick. It is Monday, the 20th of April. Tune the news out all day today just so you can be fresh. Just, just tune it out. Talk to the people in your circle, in your intimate circle. Tell them that you love them. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. Have a great day. Be blessed. Thanks, everybody. Be blessed. (laughs) Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed.